Hello, welcome to the Living Open podcast for mystics and seekers. I'm your host, Erin. I'm a Philly-based healing artist, and this is a podcast to support your healing journey. Hello, my friends. Wow. The past week has really been a whirlwind and there was no new episode last week for the first time ever. I don't think I've ever missed an episode. The podcast was not every week in the beginning for like the first year. It was every other week, but I was still on the schedule, you know. Um, So yeah, we didn't have a new episode because I was processing both heartbreak and falling in love with someone that I am dating at the same time and becoming more of myself (laughs) and yeah I was like okay I'm gonna take the space on this Monday where I am literally just full of grief and feeling the hugest feelings to give myself a break and not share an episode so thanks for understanding. Um, I feel like I shed an entire layer of self and rebirthed myself completely last week. And that might sound dramatic, but that is, yeah, that's really what's been happening. So that's why we didn't have an episode. And I'm bringing this up because I like sharing about what's up over here. And I haven't updated you all in quite a while, but also because that is relevant to dreams, which is the topic of today's episode with Tara Burke and Sanyo Estelle. So the night after I broke up with my partner, who I live with and have been with for almost four years on Sunday night, I had a dream that night where in the dream, I took it all back. I was like, I'm so sorry. I love you. I didn't mean it. I take it all back. I want to be together. And in the dream, we get back together. And immediately, right after that happens in the dream, I regret it. And I know it was a big mistake. And that was the dream that I needed to have that night. Um, I feel like, I mean, I have so many thoughts about relationship with dreaming and dreams are so, so important to me. It's such a powerful relationship that I'm in and I've always, always found that when I need it the most, my dreams will come in like that. Um, you know, that's really how I felt after that night. I did want to take it all back. Um, and I really just needed to get through that night and that next day and that dream was like, confirmation that dream was oh yeah you're right and then you know 24 hours later I really rooted into that knowing and I really knew it and I felt it so the dreams are here for us you know (laughs) the dreams are here with us I should say um and yeah I'm I've been cultivating my relationship with my dreams for a long time and I go in waves with working with my dreams and working with Tara and Sanyu over the fall, I think it was, in their dreamscapes container and working with Tara doing some private work around like re-entering dreams has been really beautiful and really got me back into 
working with my dreams really consciously and intentionally and has really you know changed my perspective on a lot of things around dreams and widened my perspective around dreams so i'm really grateful for them and for their work and I'm going to read you their bio now. So Tara uses they, them pronouns. Sonia uses she, her pronouns. And they are dreaming collaboratively together in their communal dream course, Dreamscapes. They're both spiritual care workers. Sonia is pigmented, 82%, womanist, as constant as the tides. Sissy, femme but hetero-ish, flexible, asexual. It's a spectrum, seems unwise to call it. Travel apt. Earth is a country and fashion forward. Funk flag flyage. <laughs> SSJW, sarcastic social justice warrior. Tara is a mixed Japanese non binary witch with image and metaphor as their primary love languages. They are committed to the task of repopulating the world with living mythos. They both tend to rituals that make us realize that spiritual and political frameworks are not separate but coexist in a dance of interdependence. Such a fun bio. I was excited to read that out loud. <laughs> um, so what we talk about, we go really deep into all things dreams. We talk about their journeys with their dreams, dismantling needing to interpret your dreams, a personal favorite topic, and I think one of their favorite topics as well, um, what the dream world is to them, multidimensionality in dreaming, not exploiting and extracting from the dream process, living into our dream, collective dreaming, the power of the imagination, ableism within the dream space, making magic in the unseen and in what we feel, dreams you don't prefer, also known as nightmares for some, dream figures and how maybe those aren't the exact people in your waking life that you're seeing in your dream, spiritual agreements, destiny and free will, connecting with dreams through art, and a bunch more. So if you're into dreams or you want to get into dreams, deepen your perspective around dreams, deepen your relationship with your dreams, this episode is amazing and it is for you. <laughs> I just have one thing I want to share before we get into this interview. I shared this in the last episode as well, but my free creativity course is back. It starts tomorrow, April 6th, and it's a four-day course delivered over email and in it we explore your unique creative blocks and yeah, help you open to more of your innate creativity through journaling and ritual and practice and breath work so if you're wanting to deepen your relationship with your creativity or have been feeling disconnected and wanting to reconnect with your creativity this aliveness this energy that is so sacred and special to me and is so innate to all of us you can join that it's free the link's in the description and the creative support membership is also going to be reopening next week which i am very excited about because i love everyone in it and i love the creative support work that we are doing together um so stay tuned for that as well and you'll get notified about that if you join the free course okay that's all i have to share with you check out the links in the description for everything you need and here is my conversation with tara and sanyo so I usually like to start the show by hearing about your journey to getting to where you are. And I think I'd love to hear from both of you about your journey with your dreams and how your relationship with dreaming has evolved. Yes. Um, so we talk about this all the time in our dreamscapes cohorts. Um I have always been a very vivid dreamer, not necessarily a lucid dreamer, but a very vivid dreamer. Um, 
from a young age and around the age of five or six, I recall having a dream where like an angelic figure or what my mind equivalent to that or made equivalent to that because I was raised in the church and like that was what my mind had of like some celestial light being. Um, <laughs> but they told me to write down my dreams. And at that age, I was just learning to read because my mom was reading me bedtime stories that I wanted to read on my own when she wasn't in the room. So I asked her to teach me to read. Um, and so that sort of coincided with my ability, my like, my literacy, because I started writing down my dreams literally from elementary school. I've been, li I've been looking for the book. I know exactly how it looks like. It's fuzzy, it's blue and white, and it looks like, like the sky. Mm. And that was like my first dream journal. And it's somewhere in storage. I haven't been able to find it yet, but I know the three or four or five dreams I wrote down in there. Cause obviously my handwriting was enormous <laughs> at the age of six, but it's just really interesting that I can recall these dreams from like almost 30 years ago because, and even know them in my head, even though I haven't held that book maybe in like five to seven years, I don't, it's somewhere in storage. So my experience with Dreaming is just being in that state a lot with a lot of memory for that state. And then coming back with all so many questions and like curiosities for the adults of my life and being sort of like disappointed by their lack of enthusiasm and excitement about the dreaming realms. And then finding my personal solace in basically like fantasy and sci-fi genre and, and storytelling. Um, so that, and then the fact that I could write for myself made it, I was companioned by my dreaming. I didn't need my, I didn't need the adults of my life or the older people of my life to like corroborate or co-sign that because I learned so much in my dreaming that I just realized that like humans weren't actually that honest. And I knew that from a really young age and my parents were like more honest than most, <laughs> but like, um, being honest about like who they are as individuals, what humans are like, what our dreams and aspirations are. I learned a lot about that in the dreaming realm. And then I'd come back to earth and be like, humans don't know shit. Like, what? why am I here? Um, so that's my, my dreaming experience. <laughs> yeah. I, my imagination has always been really alive. And I think for me, like so much of dreaming is how, we're kind of told at a young age to kind of stop pretending or making it up. And like, even to Sonia's point, like realizing coming from the dream realm, feeling so informed by dreaming and then immediately being able to like actually use critical thinking and discourse and conversation to be like, Oh, well this like earth existence in like, it just helps to inform more curiosity and inquiry into a question. That's what dreaming does for me. Like, we talk a lot about like not needing to interpret our dreams. Like we want to openly dismantle that. And so I think from a young age, like landscapes and environments were huge for me for dreaming. I just like was less about like this happened as opposed to where am I in a dream? Like what is arriving? Um, I was like courted by a dream 
from a rhubarb plant in Chicago. I used to like take naps there as a little kid and the leaves of rhubarb are so big. And so I remember like feeling like I was in this huge canopy, this like jungled canopy and sleep. And like at that time I was really into being a cat as well as many other animals in my life. And so I was able to kind of like infuse like what it would be like in this feline way through my dreaming practice as a young kid in just like the middle of Chicago and just through this plant. And so that was really amazing, just like the interconnectedness of life in relationship to dreaming. And then, I mean, a big shout out I have to say is Little Little Nemo, Adventures in Slumberland. It's a 1998 fantasy film of this little boy and like kin, kids, uh, traveling on a bed and that was big for me just like what it was so wild i literally have not thought of that movie since you just said it and i think i did i had to watch that because i remember them on the bed yeah and it talks about nightmares it talks about what it is to be in that adventure and so i remember being able to embody and infuse that like before i'd go on to my adventures to sleep i had a shaker bed which as a young kid i'm like unsure why i think it was something that my parents had inherited from their parents and like had received as like an offering or a gift or something. Um, and so it had these long poles, like an old shaker bed has like poles that are coming out. And I was remember just like holding on to one of the poles, like <laughs> traveling through with my stuffies. So yeah, infused by the imaginal world and really infused by the environment was really big for me as a kiddo. Mm, thank you both for sharing. I think I'm curious about how you think about dreams and the dream world, like what are they to you? How do you, yeah, relate to dreams beyond maybe just like processing your subconscious activities from the day or whatever? Oh, we relate to dreams far past processing <laughs> the subconscious things of the day. Oh, I know you do. <laughs> uh, I, I know you know, but we'll tell you too, audience. Don't worry, we won't keep you hanging. Um, well, I talk a lot like, Tara was saying they talk a lot about like landscapes and dream mapping and environment and and engaging with the dream from a first person perspective and I'm sure they'll say a lot more about that. I engage and specialize more in the multidimensionality and like time spatial consciousness within dreams. So it's like what dimension of earth are you in? What age are you? Is it you or is it another version of you? Are you with your actual family in the dream reality? Are you with another dimensional version of your family? Are you with ancestral family? Are you with representational family? Are you on earth of our time? Are you on earth of another time? Are you even in our solar system? Are you even on a planet? You know, so these are questions that we pose in lieu of interpretation to our attendees and clients to help them engage with their dream wor- dream worlds and dreamscape in far more than a two-dimensional reality. It becomes three-dimensional, becomes four-dimensional, becomes five-dimensional, et cetera. And the reason that it can do that is because we are very much about validating the dreamscape experience as real mm-hmm. in the way that it is real and meaningful in the way that it is meaningful and representative in the way that it's representative. And then we just suggest questions or comment on what we find interesting because we're, we're also engaging with the dream from our own bias, right? What we find interesting. 
And in our tag teaming this, we have basically attracted everybody we needed. Like our making of the Dreamscapes cohort was a dream because it was like really easeful. And like everybody that we needed has continued to show up. Like we haven't even been through a full year of cohorts, but are excited for spring cohort because we already have a new component. And we also know that like someone else that we ultimately will discover we need is going to be in that cohort. And same with summer and same with fall. And, and so we are developing a pedagogy around dreamscapes because our ultimate goal is that you don't really see any difference between the waking reality and the sleeping reality at the, at the best, in the best of all possible worlds, uh, in the candide language, you would be living your dream. Mm. So you wouldn't necessarily even have to, go to sleep to do it. Right. You just, or to access that realm. Right. There's so much, there's like everything that Sonia says is like so resonant and the beauty of dreaming in community, right? So I think that's the biggest thing for us is like one dreaming in my experience thus far before being in and co-creating dreamscapes has always been this very individualized experience. Even I've been playing around with unpacking, reading some dreaming texts from folks and authors of like how one achieves lucidity, how one achieves astral projection, and even like using that word achievement as if there is something to grass, take, exploit, extract from the dream process. And so Sonia and I are like, yeah, fuck that. Like, that's not really why we're here. Um, and so the beauty of us, of one dreaming in community, is all of a sudden our sense of awareness and our ways of interpretation are expanded by just simply being witnessed, being communicated, being seen and supported in a community container. And so I really believe for me Dreaming in community has helped foster a depth in my imaginal practice. It's also helped me realize that like I am dreaming not just my own dream, right? Because, you know, Sanyu has mentioned in cohorts past that everyone dreams, right? Everybody dreams. It's not something that you need to learn to do better, learn to do right, are doing it wrong, right? That work that way around the the duality, and we talk a lot about paradox and the binary and dreaming as well, which again, Sanyu covers in depth in the cohort. Um, but I love the idea of or the feeling of choosing to be in relationality to our dreams um, as their own entities, their own life force. They have their own their own flow. And again, you know, we can be driving, dreaming our individual dream, right? Like living into our dream, which I feel like Sanyu talked about. We could be dreaming in the collective. We've experienced a lot of pandemic dreams. Folks have come to us in relationships of having mass dreams. We can also, again, taking it out of the human-centric approach, like what is the world stream, right? Because like humans aren't the top of the motherfucking food chain. So like when we look away from that, like, what is the world dreaming, right? And that, to me, again, like, roots into a completely different understanding of dreaming, which, again, and what Sanyu and I have realized, um, has really been centered from, like, a Western kind of psychologist perspective, though really being related to indigenous cosmologies as so much spiritual practice and practices are. So... That's a whole other conversation for another day. Um, but yeah, it's just like we feel really strongly in that and getting to develop a discourse and an understanding and a conversation 
um, that feels so alive. Like it's changing constantly. It's adapting constantly. It's evolving constantly. And I love that. Um, it feels so fluid. So, yeah. Yeah. I love that as well. And I mean, as we're talking about community dreaming, maybe we could go a little deeper into why that's so important when, yeah, there's this idea of like individuality as being like super important in spiritual spaces and how that idea kind of runs rampant and how community dreaming supports like dreaming being decolonial practice. Yes. Well, you said so much right there yourself. Eric. <laughs> um, but I would say, well, like as Tara was saying, we all dream and the collectiveness of the dream and Tara, this is something Tara said I think in either our pop-ups in December or winter cohort, but like the dreamscape doesn't belong to us, right? Like it's not ours. Our dream experience is ours, but like considering we all dream, that's clearly a place that we are visiting. It is a realm. It is a place that we all go to in the various dimensions and frequencies of that, of that experience, which is why you can have collective dreams where, what's going on in the culture and the zeitgeist happens, but you can also have collective dreams where everyone in the family dreams about the same person in the same week, or you and your friend had a dream on the same topic or the same celebrity showed up in your dream in the same week. And, and that's collective too, right? Because the collective is simply more than one, in my opinion. Um, but like, the individualization, you know, whatever, the like, hyper individuality that is um, encouraged not only by like pioneer American colonial society, but also by capitalism, right? Which is not inherently American. That was Dutch, right? <laughs> the Dutch brought us, brought us Wall Street. The, the Dutch brought us um, the stock market as we know it today. Um, but the idea that I think it's mostly really like the the hyper individualism is obviously egotistically driven, but it's egotistically driven in like a moralistic way where people are really trying to become, they want to be seen as and recognized as masters, right? Everybody wants to be, if we're talking about the ancient masters and we're talking about people want to be the Buddha, the Lao Tzu, the Jesus, the Hapshetsit, if we're talking about like modern masters and people want to be like the Tony Morrison, James Baldwin, Freddie Mercury's like, and so people really want to be recognized for their understanding of spirituality in a way that's in hyper individualized in the sense that like, I found this knowledge and this is my pedagogy and I am the smartest spiritual person on the earth in all times. And that's why you have people who give themselves titles like eighth generation star queen princess of the 44th realm. And you're like, okay. Um, but it's not like, I mean, obviously spirituality is such an hyper individualized practice. Tara and I both dream and we both teach dreaming and we teach dreaming together, but like our experiences are completely individual. And even if we're in each other's dreams and we had the same and we were there together, meaning we we dreamed together, I would have it from my perspective and Tara would have it from theirs. So like, you don't have to seek out individualism. You have, that you have to have your experience. You have to go your road alone, your unique path, meaning like your bodily life, your consciousness. So the overemphasis on individualization as to say like, this is mine is really funny 
to people like us because one, we're just highly communal. We like each other a lot. We like the people who we attract. We don't, and we also like people making people self-sufficient. We like what we do. We don't like people being dependent on what we do. And we change all the time. So, you know, our goal is to eventually, the reason that we're developing a pedagogy is so that one day we can just teach people how to do what we do and they can have their remote schools and then we don't need to repeat ourselves all the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All that. All that. Um I'm gonna move away from the I'm like I'm I'm like at a, my own crux with even the word decolonial because I feel like it's so rooted in indigenous land back movements and so I'm just really starting to deconstruct what that is for me to like overutilize buzzwords especially in like spiritual practices when they've like there's been people organizing on the front lines around decolonization work like well before it's been in context of the fucking internet um so there's that and it's a perfect moment for me to offer um I really love this beat poet, Diane DePrima. And there's a poem called Rant. And I will read like just small bits of it. But for me, it's about the, the biggest thing that comes through with the poem, like the biggest thing is the only war that matters is the war against the imagination. If there's like one takeaway, literally in the poem, she's, she, you know, she wants to emphasize this because it is the all caps. It is the all caps text, lots of emojis, lots of exclamation points to put it in modern times. Like it's the only war that matters is the war against the imagination. Now, again, I'm, I'm not to like justify like whose war is and isn't justified. That's not my place here. You know, for me, it's to talk about we are so assumed by like, um, media's version of our dream like if we want to really think about it in that way like we are living as as sanyu had mentioned the dreams of other people that have been dreamt for us people have dreamed these realities of culture and society of capitalism of racism of supremacy and those dreams are now being dreamed forward and so the way that we are able to reclaim that is to essentially like be like well one not be in alliance to any of those ideals, move from that moment of dismantling and understand that by reclaiming our imaginal process, you know, by understanding that everything's not about the logical brain and the moment of mind and things actually can come from dreaming and somatics, what it's like to be embodied in our conversations, what it is to choose what it is we want to make meaning from, we can, I feel like that's the moment of liberation and dreaming. That's when we are like, oh, we're standing for that. Um, and I agree with Sanyu, like this, something that I've taken from working with Sanyu for the past four years is, um, and I stand by it. It's like kind of become part of my ethics is I want to make myself available, open and accessible as a container for healing and transformation. And also I don't always need to be needed. I don't always need to be depended on. I would love to offer that a moment of self-reliance and sufficiency and autonomy for an individual so that they can then guide themselves, guide others, guide their communities, right? Like, cause it's not just me, it's like micro communities within the larger, you know, of the macro community. 
And so I just, I believe so much in that. And so I encourage folks, and you might even put it in the show notes, Aaron, to read that Diane DePrima's rant. It's a great poem. It's very long. Talks about multidimensionality, like definitely is in it. Still goes on the binary, talks about women and men, but like I'm I'm very much into so much of the poem's like ethos is kind of what I feel like is important with dreaming and the war that we found ourselves against the imagination. Again, that phrase, you're making it up. Stop pretending this isn't real as if what's real is dependent on what we can see, which is also an ableist perspective. We have a lot of conversations and I think Sanu can even touch on this really um, in a way that feels like they've had a lot of work to kind of unpack and move with this in conversation is ableism within the dream space. And so, you know, I'll pass the mic to Sanyu to kind of offer more conversation on that. But again, it's this idea, which is rooted in ableism of like, what we see is real and what we can't see doesn't exist. And so that's for me, a, a way to make magic is like when we're able to believe, feel, sense into what it is we can't necessarily see or appear to be real. So yeah, that's my little my little thought on on dreaming and dismantling interpretation and the war on the imagination. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, we recently I've been bringing in, well, we, so whatever, you didn't ask this question, but I'll answer a question you didn't ask. So um, every cohort, we're sort of educated by our attendees, right? Like, we have general topics that we will always touch on in every cohort. And um, that will be either through our live workshops or through our Dreamscapes video library, which is like all the previous videos from the previous cohorts for people who really want to do a deep dive, like they get access to that. Um, but Tara and I have our own kinds of dreaming, right, as described. So we have attracted in each cohort people who have night terrors, people who have um, like sleep apnea, people who have, um, well, beyond night terrors, like nightmares, regular like horrific nightmares. And, and then there are people who are astral projectors or lucid dreamers. And we don't necessarily do all these things in our dreaming. So all, every cohort sort of, leads us to discover more about what we know about the dreamscape. And obviously each cohort influences how we dream as well. So the ableism point was not actually something I initially thought about in the dreamscape, but just realizing how many people had um, sleep paralysis and who were terrified by sleep paralysis. I've also had moments of sleep paralysis where I've been afraid, but I've realized over the years of having it, and also through mentorship about what it actually is, um, that one, if I just breathe through it, I get over it because you're paralyzed. So there's literally nothing else you can do but like deal. And then the other part is not psychologically losing your mind mm -hmm. over the fact that your body goes through different states when you're between what you consider to be the waking and dreaming realm. So we've recently been like teaching and educating on the fact that sleep paralysis is a form of ableism if you let it terrify you because there are plenty of people who are paralyzed living very full, happy, conscious lives. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a, it's a state of being, right? And then you have to consider 
depending on the kind of dreamer you are, right? I'm a dreamer who has a lot of dreams where I see other versions of myself mm. while I know that I am me and I know that they are not me. Um, and sometimes they're like evil versions of me and stuff like that. But because of the culture and the zeitgeist and how we are conditioned into the dreams that we think are reality, like I had to think like, shit, I don't know how many dreams I've had where I'm disabled, mm. right? Like that... I, I'm sure I ha I've had a million, but do I remember them? Like where I'd, I'm missing a limb or where I have any other kind of like maybe neurological condition that's more of our modern culture, you know, like you, cause you have an awareness of shit in your dreams that you, you have no evidence for, right? You're like, I like in a, a dream uh, last week, I was speaking French and I was struggling in the dream. I was like, oh God, we have to speak French again. And it was like a lost language and everybody really stumbled to try and construct it. And I woke up with that knowledge, right? So it's like, what's to say you can't wake up knowing that you had um, autism or that you had ADHD, right? But it's that we're conditioned where we're like, oh, no, not that experience. And so, like, you don't get the experiential knowledge of even exploring or imagining or connecting to the version of you in the dimensions where that's your story. Um, and so we're just very, like we don't know what kind of dreamers are going to show up in spring, right? We had our first pregnant person last in winter cohort. We have our first couple in spring cohort. So we get to explore a lot of things, right? And we were talking about when we get kids or when we get teenagers, that will be very informative too. So like, these are cool things that the dreamscape is like teaching us. Oh yeah. I love that. I mean, and this is making me think about dream figures too, which I know we talk about in the cohort, well, I, as a participant in the cohort, <laughs> we talked about it and in work with Tara, we worked with dream figures too. Mm -hmm. And I'd just be curious to hear anything either of you want to share around dream figures and how, you know, maybe those aren't the exact people in your waking yeah. life that you're seeing in the dream or yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's so much. So we've been playing with the phrase or residual image because um, I love, and again, the word witch is here. They'll be able to kind of offer more language to that. But we talked about, or the resident image, right? Something that is being hosted or hosting. Um, and it felt really important for us to talk about that. One, because there are so many different ways in which we experience dreams, right? So we have, some folks have premonition dreams, some folks have dreams they don't prefer, which is what we seem to coin as nightmares, kind of as Sonia was able to allude to. Um, some are daydreams, right? Some folks travel by way of lucidity and by way of astral projecting, whether consenting or non, which is also a really important notion, right? And so when we talk about the residual image, it's this ability to allow ourselves to host and to greet the image, to have tea with it, to go on a, to go have coffee, to sit and have a picnic, to do what we do as if we were hosting somebody in our home or in our heart space, like in a space of tending. The ways that we kind of narrow our definitions is when we take things from our living waking reality and are like, this is my uncle from this moment in time doing this exact thing. It is exactly this uncle. While there is residue of this uncle, there's an imprint of this uncle. I'm not denying that that might be true, but is it the exact being? 
No, unless you had a consenting thing of being like, hey, we're going to hang out at this time and this way, which I'm like, that's a whole level of up leveling that, you know, maybe at like 85 and Sonia and I are still doing this, like sitting and, and you know, drinking a lot of like, you know, different types of sake. Teas. Yeah, I was like, sake, maybe some microdosing of, you know, psilocybins. Like, so for me, there's this importance of like greeting an image, a figure. For some, it's even ancestral, right? There's many works around ancestral practices of working with residue images, um, resident images, um, because it creates, again, an essence and an imprint. But it's, again, our mind, our logical, our rational way of thinking to try to be like, it is this and then is that and it is because of this. And that's why, again, this beauty of dreaming in community. I mean, really, the one thing that me and Sonia love to even offer is like dreaming and sharing with a loved one. So I were excited mm-hmm. about a couple, you know, to have this opportunity for them to share in their dreaming practice and then actually see what has what expands or maybe contracts from them dreaming in community together. So often again when we interpret on our own, it's like we really have one storyline, one narrative, one pathway, but we're really giving ourselves more space to move and explore and be in relationality. Like again, so much about dreaming for us is like us being in relationship, not in ownership of our dream space. Um, so that's like a little bit, you know, amusing to the the ways of the image and um, yeah. We're also developing our own pedagogy. So we're we're, ch- we're changing our language all the time. We're developing our own like lexicon. Um, and we're also redefining terms, right? Like we do redefine nightmares as dreams we don't prefer. Um, but obviously we'll colloquial, co- colloquially call them nightmares because that's a reference that people understand. Um, but we've been talking recently about how even nightmares are cast in this binary um, conception where you're like, these are evil and these are good. And I've been telling people in recently in cohorts to imagine your nightmares like Monsters, Inc. Like Mm -hmm. they're doing their job and it's not an easy job, but someone's got to do it. And like, they just need you to let them in the door (laughs) and to, to remember them. And then they've done their job. Right. So, and eventually they make you laugh. So, Other than that, residual images, we're really, this is like actually a really exciting topic because it's huge and every cohort we touch on it, but it's like, it deserves its own workshop just by itself. Um, And that will come probably in summer or fall for us. Um, But like a residual image like workshop would talk about how for some people that's landscapes, like mountains, bodies of water. For some people that's ancestral figures for some people that's communities right my high school or my family or this camp I always went to why am I always revisiting this place for some of us it's like angels or extraterrestrials or animals or plants or celestial beings you never see or like you know people have all and this is what we're learning through dreamscapes cohorts and through our our attendees is like the real diversity of dreaming that takes place. Like the real fantastical things to the seemingly mundane things that people are remembering and are bringing to us as this is something I want to talk about. This was significant to me. And especially with our dream drops, which is something that we've developed 
because now we have a band and we have a way of communicating with our Realm 3 community. It's like now that you can drop a dream a day a week or two days a week, we're also really getting to see like the variety that's taking place not only between individuals, but within one individual's life. Um, like we had people in winter cohort who only had these really big sweeping dreams where they're like with gods all the time. <laughs> and for some people that seems really exciting. And for other people or even the person who's having it, they're like, yeah, it's a lot though. I never, you know, I never know what's going on. And there's always like conflict and, and other people are like, I want to see gods, right? Other people are dreaming and they spend, you know, every day in a grocery store, you know, doing different things. So this is interesting because there's nothing irrelevant that takes place from a spiritual per perspective. Mm -hmm. And there's no, there's no coincidence. There's only synchronicity. So it's like, we've attracted these people. We have agreements with these people. We had agreements with you on a spiritual level that you would be at a cohort and that we would get on this podcast and that then there would be more, you know? So it's like mm. all of it's really educational, even if it doesn't seem like sexy or fa or fancy. And we talk about what seems like the sexy dreams, right? Like lucid dreaming, astral projection, premonitions, you know, like, and it's not always that way. Sometimes it's really great some of my favorite dreams have been practicing ASL or Tai Chi while I'm sleeping. Or I'm like, ooh, productive sleeping and waking. Like, that's so great. Um, so those are some things about the residual image, but it's a lot to unpack. There's so much there. Um, and there's almost like no limit to what they can, what the residual image might be for someone. Right. In realms like one and two, because we've decided to offer different ways of being in relationship to dreams with realms and just as opposed to levels, because we're not trying to get somewhere. So we wanted to play and do and, and, and be playful with the idea of multidimensionality through realms. And so, you know, within realms, one and realm two, you know, those are moments we get to touch on the living image, we get to touch on landscapes. And then of course, in realm three, we've made it a community container. So we do things in a community based way where we kind of offer this and then people are in relationship to a living image and get to have this kind of extended time to talk about right. And in my one on one practice work, that's another way where we work a living image. Because again, as Sanyu said, like, there's only so much to say. Um, here and now because like it is so exploratory and so expansive which is what we love in comparison to something like interpretation which just feels like it has a very finite over kind of infinite expression yeah and I think it offers that idea of like there's a right or a wrong answer or interpretation from the dream and like you need to find that right answer which it sounds like homework and it sounds like it just sounds like not a way that I want to be in relationship with my dreams. And um, Sanyu, what you were saying is making me think about, I wrote this down and I've quoted it so many times because you said it in, I think it was like the multidimensionality class mm -hmm. that you taught. And you said, destiny is just free will from a higher perspective. And I mean, there's so much to say about that, but what you were sharing about kind of like dimensionality is making me think about it. Yeah. Is there anything you want to tell us about that? Yes. Uh, it's funny. I was like, what is, what is, what quote? <laughs> I, I said it so to much. so many like, people. <laughs> we, and we love quotes. We love we quotes. We do. We do love quotes. <laughs> um, I was like, I'm glad you wrote that down because now I can <laughs> no, write I did. that down. Okay, great. I'm like 
I'm loving people quoting me because I say so much shit. I forget what I say. <laughs> Turn um, it into an Instagram post. <laughs> yeah, I, you will see it. You will see it. Um, so yeah, destiny is just your free will from a higher perspective. I liked. I, I think I definitely touched on this in multidimensionality and time space, but obviously I'll be talking more about that, especially when we get into the residual images that qualify as higher dimensional selves higher self, ascended self, ascended beings, you know? So like that is, um, a way I like to describe this is like, we have our higher self and we have our lower self. And this is not in a power relationship, literally just talking about positional realities, right? Like the lower material, the material realm is dense and it is lower. The spiritual realm is less dense and it is higher. Um, so there's not a qualification like they're better than us, but our higher self is like the spiritual whole entity before we incarnated who chose the infinite possibilities, who fill, fulfill, like wrote out the spiritual contract and who decided what you may potentially want to experience here over the course of a lifetime from a spiritual perspective. Mm -hmm. Then you come here to earth and then you forget everything. And then we become the lower self. And the lower self, another way to depict this is like the higher self is on the mountain and the lower self is in the valley. And the lower self is like got the one, it's got the linear, more one-dimensional, perspective. So the higher self is up on the mountain, like left, right, pause, turn around, go to bed. And the, and the lower self is down there. Like, I don't like this or this sucks or what is that? You know, it depends on if you're actually in conversation with your higher self or if you just feel like shit is happening to you. And so the lower self, us, the ones who are incarnate, we get to decide what of the spiritual contract that we made as the higher self we actually want to live out. And we're also the person who has to live out the reality, whether or not everybody else that we agreed to live out the reality decides to live out the reality with us, right? So it's like our experience is from the firsthand perspective. Our higher self's experience is from the life perspective. And so what we think of as destiny was just the choices that we made on as our higher self. And then forgetting in the lower realms because they're dense and you don't have like the physical memory capacity. Not everyone does. Some people do. Um, to recall all those agreements, then we're the ones who are discovering and living out what we thought from a spiritual or higher perspective would be worthy of our experience. Mm -hmm. But we can always negotiate, which is why we always encourage like agency and autonomy in dreamscapes, which is like, you can always be like, Hey, I'm learning a lot of lessons through betrayals and friendship. And I would really, I get it. And I would really like you to send me that message in a different way so that I can understand it synchronistically without being so triggered by my like wounded experience. And then your higher self will be like, Oh, okay. Because from a higher realm, all of it is relevant and all of it is bearable. But from the material realm, we just don't feel that way. But it's not the higher self's job to know that. It's our job to know that and then communicate it back because they're having the 
valley. They're having the mountain experience. We're having the valley experience. So we need to, they don't see those details until we tell them. They're just one of an infinite number of details that they made because anybody on earth gets to choose their free will reality, which means that there is always infinite potential for the, the plan to change. So hopefully that describes a little bit more. Yeah, I could listen to you talk about this stuff all day. <laughs> I think it's so fascinating. It is. I agree with you. It is. I think yeah. it's very fascinating. And it's endless because people are always choosing at every moment. So it's it the combinations that take place on like an infinite scale are like beyond like beyond comprehension. Mm-hmm. And that part ideally is exciting. I think for a lot of people it has been terrifying and hopefully the dreamscape experience makes the unknown or the unknowable or whatever feel much more accessible or like approachable. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's been my experience in dreamscapes for sure. And also, (laughs) yay, (laughs) how you talked about like rooting into agency and choice too. Like I think, yeah, working with our dreams in this nonlinear way and relational way and community way feels so empowering. Um, And like, it's actually something that can support us in growing and yeah, connecting with ourselves. That's ideal. (laughs) That's right. Um, I also wanted to ask you because I just, I love this idea. And when I've done it, it's felt really powerful and also really fun around connecting with your dreams through making art, like collaging and poetry and like how that helps us just mm-hmm. engage with the dream. Yeah. Speak to it, Tara, because you are the poem. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm in love with um, finding ways to express things that are not fully like just again focused on on trying to think or analyze um and i do that because i'm actually very analytical this is like the thing the reason i'm doing that is because i know that it supports me to get out of that thinking space um and to like over intellectualize and off also try to be like in so much control like control and trust are different things and like if i'm willing to trust myself i can actually like loosen my type grip on control which creates more ease and creativity in my dream practice and so for me it's why we love dream mapping we talk a lot about landscapes like we love folks to be able to offer in expressions of art it could be dancing it could be drawing it could be collaging it could be mask making which you know i have this like dream of having folks gather and then like get to make masks of their dream figures together and then getting to introduce themselves to their dream figures by getting to look at the mask. Like I have a very big moment of that hopefully happening in some day in the distant future of now. So just noticing that I could, that that could be possible. And I think for me, I've always been creative. Um, I've never really considered myself an artist. So it's interesting. Like I want to kind of give a shout out to folks that are like, well, I'm not artistic. Like I can't draw. And I think for me, it's this idea of like, well, what would it look like even in a sketch? Like, again, so much of drawing is like, sometimes the resistance or a wall can be because of like what other people were think or like the comparison and contrast of like what is and what is an art a whole other conversation, right? Mm-hmm. And so just offering ourselves to that experience beyond just the recall that we kind of might be more familiarized, right? So many folks recall through audio, many folks recall through scribing or writing. You know, this is just another way to express 
recall is to move in that way of like the imagination, the imaginal image, um, the landscape of dreaming. So we do a lot of dream mapping, which, you know, just in context is an opportunity to land in a space or a landscape or a sanctuary in which then when you do do dream, dream reentry work, you have a place to land from, an image in your heart's mind, a place to be in relationship to. So you're not just like, well, I'm coming out of the void of limitless space, which can be fun for some. I, I love a little good landing before I I lift off. So um, that's kind of the relationality for me with, with kind of landscapes and how to express um, dreams through creative practices. Yes, we definitely encourage... Um different kinds of tracking and documentation of your dreams, whether writing that down in long form, bullet points, audio, video, telling someone, telling the person next to you, making a dream map, uh, making a collage, making a vision board. And Nia, who came in through fall cohort and is our a part of our Dreamscapes Hive, they're like behind the scenes, they're part of admin. There are sort of like Excel guru and down the line, we're definitely actually going to have them teach a class on dream tracking using like an Excel sheet where you can actually like actually like plot out your dreams and, and do some of the deeper dream work that Tara is really excited to get people involved in. Because as we sort of develop this practice and pedagogy, we will advance ourselves right in our own dream experiences we're unlocking things constantly i'm only i remember between fall and winter cohort i had a dream where i was like speaking to my oversoul in binary code like that has never happened like that was i unlocked something through doing my job in the in the waking reality and they gave me like access to the oversoul which was very cool um and so it's like we are learning how to really guide ourselves and then teach others how to use the dreamscape almost like on a professional level in the sense that it can all work towards your perfect, like your vocation. It can all work towards your career. It can all work towards your success. And so my dream mapping or like, engaging with the dream from a non-linear or like analytical perspective is very much in the multidimensionality um, realm where I'm sort of seeing long form a year and five years into this practice and like where we can take students. Mm -hmm. And that's how I'm mapping it out. Whereas Tara is really cool because Tara is finding like programming for our workshops where you can literally map it out. Um, and we're incorporating that into our workshops too. So we're bringing in different kinds of tools, um, apps and features that we then, you know, invest in and then give our students access to so that they can decide whether they want to go further in that department for their own documentation or their own interests. Yeah, that's making me think about, I think it was mural, um, it might have been what it was called, but yes. one of the classes we did like a collective kind of collage and everyone was putting in dream images and figures and landscapes and it was incredible to see, like it reminds me of what you were saying at the beginning of our conversation about how everyone's dreams can be so different and how beautiful it is that diversity in dreaming. 
Absolutely. That was really fun to see too. Everyone rapidly like building a dreamscape. That was fun. Oh yeah. Coming together in like real time. Was so cool. <laughs> I want to ask you both the last question that I always ask on this show Ooh. is because the name of the podcast is Living Open. What does Living Open mean to you? What comes up when you hear that? Hmm. I think for me, living open um, is leaning into liminal space. Living open for me is remaining curious. And I always love to think that my spiritual experience is a series of like expansion, moments of expanding, expanding, widening, widening my perspective, um, and then contracting. And so like, it's so interesting. I feel like for me, sometimes it doesn't feel as possible to understand my uh, ways to crack open if I don't know my moments of contraction, or I don't know my moments of descent, or I don't know my moments of really sitting in those those layers where I'm just, you know, kind of, I kind of think of this kind of form of this, like a seed, or kind of this kind of supported fetal pose or fetal position really um, of closed. And so there's something so beautiful of the unfurling, I'll think of something like I'm, you know, currently occupying Kalapuya land um, to many maybe known as Eugene, Oregon. And I've noticed like the ferns right around the spring, they're like these fiddlehead ferns and they literally wrap like a spiral and then over spring, they open up. And so there's something so beautiful because of course they had to sprout, they had to come up, they had to open just to be in existence, but they're still in this kind of moment of contraction. And so just like within dreaming, like I'm so into the spiralic experience. And so living, which again is this idea of a, a moment in action, like ING for me, ING words, move in this moment of action, right? There's some momentum, but also this experience. And so what it is to like living open is how we kind of move from that spiralic place of expansion and contraction. So yeah, that's my little my thoughts with the fiddlehead fern, which again is such I a cute little photo. I love it. Yeah. I can see it. I was like, oh, I know exactly who you're talking about. It's got so much character, that plant. <laughs> um, yeah, living open. I've been talking about this recently on Instagram, uh, just about how um, living transparently gives doesn't give people the opportunity to gossip or like covet your mm -hmm. lifestyle. You know, we're in this time where cancel culture can exist, quote unquote, cancel culture, as people frame it in like the white supremacist view, but like that cancel culture can exist because people are feel like they have to hide their lifestyles, right? Like, that you can't be complex, that you can't have fucked up, that you can't have said some dumb shit once in your life. Well, like I just did because I was able to, like you can say some ridiculously uninformed something in your life and that you can't like survive that or that like your humanity is somehow compromised forever because you have to be this neutered, sterile version of accountability, which just is perfection from a white supremacist framework, right? Like a robot, you must be the one without error. You must be programmed for a maximum efficiency. And so 
I think of living open as being transparent. And I'm working at that a lot more because the, the interesting aspect of being transparent is I think a lot of people imagine it means everybody knowing everything. And like, that's not even possible because you don't even know that about yourself. Like we can't even be transparent about ourselves to the extent that we'd like to because we are learning about the experience. So it's like to be transparent is just to see what's there and then knowing what's there, release what isn't for you, keep what is, and then being, and then revealing more of what's there. Like it's an infinite depth, depth, I was going to say depth less, but like forever depth, like a journey. And so the idea of transparency isn't, you know, some people think, oh, the mystery is gone. I'll know everything about you. No, you won't. Like, I don't know everything about me. So like, how the fuck would you know everything about me just because I shared with you what I've come to know? It's so arrogant to imagine that we're going to get to the bottom of anything in, a, in an infinite universe. So my perspective of living open is like, the more transparent you are, the less you have to account for. Mm. Everybody knows what it was at the time that it was. And there's no scandal to go back to. And, and, and it, by the time people are talking about it, everybody knows. It's old news. And, and I hope for our generation and all the generations around and below that they embrace that lifestyle and not in the way that people seem to embrace it, which is like the fuck from the fuck you perspective. Like I'll be transparent about how much I fucking hate you. Um, <laughs> but like, why can't we be that transparent about just like where we are in our lived experience and what we're coming to learn. And, you know, it takes a lot of modesty because transparency is coming from a place like, I'm sharing this with you because it's happening, but I don't know where this is all going to go. And so I'm putting it on the table so that no matter where it goes, you know what it was. And, you know, it's a showing your cards kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And, or, you know, like letting people see the binary coding, right? It's, an, it's being open source. It's being an open source material. And that like people can take what you've done, your life, your words, and they can apply it to themselves in a way that is authentic, ideally, mm -hmm. if you've led by example well enough. I mean, like, and even if you have, people are still going to do what they want with their idea of you. And there's nothing that you can do about that. So you might as well be yourself. So that's my idea of like. Might as well be yourself. I love it. Yes, all of that. Yeah. <laughs> um, can you share where people can find you online, how they can sign up for Dreamscapes? Yes. Sure. So we just, um, like very recently, uh, launched our website, dreamscapesacademy.com. Um, think of it as Hogwarts without the turf, or if you have another magical <laughs> school that you prefer, great. Um, like I said, transparency. Transparency is part of living open, moving with the ability to, you know, go past accountability because you're transparent about everything. 
So dreamscapesacademy.com. We offer spaces. We are currently enrolling for our spring cohort. um, And that will begin, I believe, April 25th on Sunday. Um, It'll be super fun and exciting for folks to join in that are curious. You can find more information about that on the website, as well as our IG, Dreamscapes Academy, um, just also opened their Instagram. It was private for a while to try to cultivate. And now we are ready to, again, kind of express it out in the open interweb waves. Um, and then you can find our work separately. So for myself, I'll just say for myself is The Witch's Muse. At Instagram, I also, also offer individual dream work um, through my services as well as hopefully eventually through our Patreon. Through a Patreon, it'll be exciting. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. Yes, yes. Tara gave you all the dreamscapes details. Um, we do have... Well, you won't hear this before we're open registration, so it won't matter to you. But we have early registration right now, audience. But you'll be you'll be when we have open registration for everyone. And just so you know, we always um, accept payment plans. We accept deposits, and we also work out mutual aid. So if you're curious, don't hesitate to come and investigate our offerings. And you can find me. Uh, my name, Sanyu Estelle, so that's S-A-N-Y-U-E-S-T-E-L-L-E. That is my IG, that's my website, that's my Patreon. If you literally Google that, you should only find me, because as far as I know, there is not another Sanyu Estelle in the world yet. Um, <laughs> but um, other than that, I also do um, individual sessions. The sessions, if you would want to do Dream um, discussion with me would definitely be my soothsaying sessions and they always take on a more multidimensional quality. Always going to be talking to you about like the versions of yourself that you most prefer and what dimensions those versions of you are in and what they're doing so that we can align more with the, with their reality. But, um, yeah, you can find us together. You can find us apart and, um, hopefully this talk was informative to the audience because we enjoyed it (laughs) yes i enjoyed it so much thank you both so much for sharing and yeah for people who are listening i did dreamscapes in the fall i think whichever the first one was i think yeah you were in our initiatory class thank you i loved it and yeah highly recommend checking it out Thank you so much for listening. If you loved this episode, please do tap five stars and leave us a nice review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. I appreciate it so, so much. And it's a really lovely way to be in exchange with the show, with an indie podcast. You can check out all the links mentioned in this episode in the description, and I'll be back on Monday with another episode. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss it and stay in touch on Instagram at E-R-Y-N-J underscore or Patreon until then.